right now with the inflationary environment, if you're using traditional budgets, they're all wrong. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to episode 231 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. And today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome John Crane to the show. John is an author, financial advisor, and retirement income planner who has spent two decades providing personalized financial guidance to business professionals, corporate executives, medical specialists, with a comprehensive planning process to identify each client's unique goals. John also has a brand new book out that I look forward to sharing with you today, the dear listener, titled The One Number Budget, in which John provides a path forward to reduce the pain the complexity, and the anxiety that so many account holders at your financial brand or fintech feel around traditional budgets. Maybe you even feel the same way about budgets, but John will provide you with a path forward. Welcome to the show, John. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to share time with you as well. It's even better to catch up uh, because it's been a while since you and I have been able to talk with one another. We are in an executive coaching program, strategic coach together. And COVID happened and we got separated. And so right. to use the previous 30 minutes just to, to catch up, I'm, I'm truly grateful for that and very excited about what you have going on in your world, uh, both personally and professionally. Before we, we talk about your brand new book, The One Number Budget, what's going well for you personally, professionally, it's your pick? Well, personally, coming off of a great summer, uh, my wife, she works for AARP and she, uh, after you've been there for seven years, they give you uh, a sabbatical. So she was completely separated for the office for a month and a half. So being able to enjoy that time with uh, her and see her explore during that time was awesome. And then, um, you know, professionally, it's been all about getting this uh, book launched and, and uh, out into the marketplace. I'm extremely happy and, and proud of that. Well, let's, let's talk about this, this book because it is a great book. It is super easy to read. I love the Thank title, you. The One Number Budget, Why Traditional Budgets Fail and What to Do About It. I highly recommend every financial brand leader, whether it's your bank, a credit union, a fintech, read this because the insights that you share, John, are transformative. And I do believe, like back to the point of the subtitle, I do believe traditional budgets are failing people. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. But to begin, why write the book? Why take the time? Um, it was so funny and, and almost serendipitous that my wife happened to be in the studio uh, as, as you were coming on. Uh, and I know that y'all had a very interesting conversation to inspire some right. action from you, but why write the book and why now? Sure. Um, so this is my 20th year in the financial services industry. And, uh, through those 20 years, I noticed there is a gap, um, in the financial services industry, 
we don't really tend to talk about cash flow planning and budgeting all that much. I mean, we do in the abstract, but at the end of the day, it's really done in the context of, okay, well, we need to get the client saving on a regular basis. And so we need to get them to put $500 a month into uh, some sort of a financial vehicle. Um, and as it relates to the financial vehicle that, that the financial services professional manages, like that's where, you know, a lot of the coaching kind of starts and stops, unfortunately. So that was, that was one, one reason uh, that I wanted to write the book was to provide something to the general public that they could, you know, use and implement a, a great tool to be able to have them be able to take it and implement it on their own or with an advisor if they so choose. I think, and we'll talk about that idea about, you know, implement, implementing this thinking alone with an advisor or maybe even with a, a peer group of sorts. I connected with, really connected with the, the story that you opened up the book with from Moneyball. How does a movie about baseball connect with budgeting? Give us some clarity here. When I started out in the financial services industry, I built this Excel spreadsheet that had, you know, the 20 to 30 different budget line items that everybody, you know, thinks about. And, uh, and I used that spreadsheet for sadly 15 years. And the sadly part is it took me 15 years to realize that my clients hated that spreadsheet. <laughs> they would, they would fill it out once and then I would never see it again. And if we ever did use it, it was just kind of like, we'd fill it in on the fly. It wasn't really, you know, accurate. The movie Moneyball is all about, you know, using statistics to choose players. And there's this pivotal scene where Jonah Hill he plays this, you know, real, you know, strong, heady intellectual. Uh, he says to the general manager, he's like, it's all about grabbing all these statistics about the players and getting things down to a single number, getting it down to one number. And I sad, you know, I guess embarrassingly on my part, like I, I've seen that movie probably 30 times. I just it's I just a great it's film. It, it really is. is. <laughs> And one of the times I was watching it, I was just like, I don't know why, but I was just like, I made the connection to budgeting. I was like, what if I could get budgeting down to a single number? So that's all clients really had to worry about is it's like, okay, in the back of their heads, if they know that they've got basically $5,000, for example, to get through the next four weeks, and if they just keep their spending below that 5,000, then everything works. I was like, that, that just seems like a much easier way to go. And so that's what spawned it. I want to dive into this and, and let's just rip the bandaid off. Let's get real. Why do traditional budgets fail? You have an entire chapter around this subject, but why? What's the problem with traditional budgets and why do they fail? And I bring this up because through my work as a digital anthropologist within financial services, working with banks, coaching banks, coaching credit unions, coaching fintechs, advising them. I look at, there's, there's a lot of effort and emphasis placed on financial quote unquote literacy. And right. a lot of them tie back into traditional budgeting practices, but they keep failing people because it's an epidemic. It's not just a financial crisis. It's an epidemic as 85% of Americans are feeling some sort of financial stress. Something is not working. And I think right. you've identified the problem here. It's, it's traditional budgets. Yeah, it's uh, the traditional budgets fail people for lots of reasons. The primary reason that I think they fail people is it's, it's too much work. You know, you're talking about 30 to 40 line items that you have to keep up with every single uh, month. 
And any one of those could end up being an outlier in any given month. So there's the work aspect of it, but then there's a the psychological aspect of it of, you know, you've got somebody that uh, maybe for household stuff, they budget, you know, I don't know, $150 a month because that's the average monthly expense based on the last three years. They feel like, okay, that's a good number. And then they get into the next month and the dishwasher dies. And so now what was supposed to cost 150 cost a thousand and they get to the end of the month and they're, and they're negative and it makes them feel bad. And so they're just like, you know what? I just, uh, this, this stinks. And right now with the inflationary environment, like everything's, if, if you're using traditional budgets, they're all wrong. Like whatever, whatever you set up two months ago, it's all wrong. And so people, they just don't do it. And that's, that's from personal experience. So I told the story earlier about my spreadsheet, you know, I handed it to them. They just, they just don't want to do it. And I get it. And then one other aspect, which I think is important to note is this concept of, for lack of a better term, budget shaming, that stuff drives me nuts. You know, you, you see it from mostly from the talking heads on TV, mm-hmm. waggling the fingers of people. You know, here are people that, you know, they, they finally overcome the intimidation of actually calling into the show to get some personalized advice. And what do they do? They get yelled at and made to feel stupid. Like, that's not that's not helpful. That's a that's a great point. No, it's not helpful at all. And actually, money shame, financial shame is real. I think Tammy Lally has a TED talk on that subject. But then wow. there was a study done around one out of five people. And I and I don't like talking one out of five people because it's or twenty percent of people uh, because it's very hard to like quantify that. But if we say one out of five people that you know, John. Or, or one out of five people that, that the dear listener knows personally is struggling with financial shame. Like that's a real thing. It's like, I think if, if you think of five names off the top of your head, maybe one out of five is struggling with financial shame. And, and you're right. It's like, you know, someone works up the courage to confront this crisis only to get shamed back because of their behaviors, because of really their beliefs. And, you mentioned the psychological aspect of traditional budgets, which I want to dive a little bit deeper into because you talk about they make you feel like a failure. And then you also talked about they treat you like a child. And I think that idea of continuously being made to feel like a failure, you know, no one's going to want to continue down a path like that. And then we don't want to be you know, treated like a child but what about budgeting apps? I know like that's a, been a big thing in the financial brand, bank, credit union, even the fintech space, budgeting apps. How does all of this play into the conversation around why traditional budgets fail and make us feel like a failure? Sure. So uh, just one last thing on the, on the parental aspect. When I first got started as an advisor and, and even up until today, when I meet a client for the very first time, not all of them, but a lot of them will come and say, well, I had to get my finances in order before I came to see you. That's, you know, I, I know we were introduced two years ago, but I had to get everything all set up before I came to see you. And it always puzzled me because I thought that's why you're hiring me is to, to help you get everything sorted. And it was because they, they, were, they were afraid of, you know, John, the parent, what, what was I going to think of them if they didn't have their finances looking a certain way? And, you know, to be honest, like, I, I don't think anything, like when people come to see, like, I'm, I'm just here to help. So when people come to me and they say that, I always tell them, you know, 
please don't wait. Just, just come in. Let's let's tackle it together. To your question about the budgeting apps, they're kind of the same thing. They're just uh, they've taken some of the tactical work out of it. Mm. But a lot of the apps, you know, you set them up to talk directly to the bank, the credit cards, and all this stuff to get it all set up perfectly. And then you know some of the categories change, or maybe some of your spendings changed. And so if you're not constantly keeping up with it, it it doesn't it doesn't really work. A lot of the things that I share about traditional budgeting, especially from a psychological standpoint, they, they translate to the technology solution. It's just easier to compile the data, but all the underlying psychological stuff is still there. And I think that's where, you know, the, the last point that you make in, in chapter two, which is, you know, why all of these traditional budgets have failed us so far and why we continue to feel like a failure. And, and I want to make this point. If 85% of Americans are feeling financial stress. How many of our internal team members at our bank, yeah. at our credit union, at our fintech feel the exact same way? And then there's a bit of imposter syndrome of like, I work in this industry, but I feel like a failure because I just can't get it together. It's the connection between a person's financial well-being and their physical well-being. And, and you shared a, an anecdotal story here about when you hit your 30s um, and, like, why traditional budgets fail is they put savings last. And that's a, a dangerous place to be. What's the connection here within your, just your own personal journey of health and awareness? I, I think, back to your point, people try to get – it's almost like – you try to get in shape before you go see the doctor, but it's the doctor that can provide the clarity into like, hey, you've, if you don't make some changes here, you're in for a, a rude awakening. Another why budgets fail uh, is the traditional budget really focuses on that particular month. Like that's where most of the, um, most of the attention is given. And there's not a lot of thought given to the rest of somebody's life, someone's, someone's lifetime. And this is where the concept of future self, and I open that first chapter with the poem really comes in is if you're, you put savings last, and let's say it's $1,000 that you're, you're planning on saving. Well, then when that dishwasher expense comes in that I was referencing earlier for $1,000, well, guess, guess which $1,000 pays for the new dishwasher? It's, it's the money that you were setting aside for your future self that gets spent today. As far as a personal anecdote that you shared, um, yeah, I, I went to the doctor and uh, I'd been hearing this for years. He's like, you know, your cholesterol is a little high. And this doctor got real aggressive. He's just like, um, he goes, hey, your cholesterol, it's crazy. So we're going to go ahead and put you on the pill. And I was like, oh, yeah, cholesterol. I, I don't take pills. Like, that's real smart, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't take medicine. He goes, oh, you don't take medicine. Oh, okay. So he continued with our discussion and then he circles back and he's like, hey, um, do you know that guy in your neighborhood that's like 45 years old and, you know, really good shape, everybody likes him. And then one day he just drops dead of a heart attack. And I was like, yeah, actually I've, I've been to that funeral. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, that's you. Mm. Went, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, this cholesterol thing that you just waved me off on. He goes, that that's where you're headed. He goes, you're, 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 you know, overall, you know, you're, you're athletic, you run a little bit here and there, but the, the way you're eating, it's killing you. So, you know, either you get a hold of this or it will get a hold of you. I owe it to my wife. I owe it to my daughter. 
to make sure that I'm here. Uh, so that was the change right there and then. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. And I think what what that was and it's a conversation that we've had a few times is he told you the truth and yeah. even audrey and i on the previous episode uh we were having a conversation about uh, a book called the four agreements um and the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word the second agreement is don't take anything personally and i think it's this idea you know when it comes to you know some of these conversations you know we got to be open we must be open to hearing the truth because otherwise we're going to make it up ourselves. And, and that's where you, you mentioned the poem about being a thief. What's your take on this? Uh, because I, I, I think, you know, when you, you hear about money and being a thief, you think, Oh, that's a bank robber. But when it comes to budgeting, it's a great question. Are you being a thief to your future self? And, and, and what does that mean? And like, let's say you have someone, maybe they're 35 years old. And they've had some challenging life circumstances. What does it take to have that type of a conversation to, back to your point, you transformed your behaviors and your habits. Instead of putting exercise last, at the end of the day, you shifted your whole perspective to put exercise first, savings first, and a right. one budget number helped with that. But what do you mean by being a thief? And how how can someone who maybe is 35, you know, be able to, you know, transform their 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 perspective their beliefs around the subject sure there's a series of drawings that are in the book that come from a whiteboard talk that i do when i first meet a client to give people the lifetime perspective and what i talk about in the book is if we just talk about a lifetime as being 90 years and we divide that into three equal parts the first 30 the middle 30 and then the final 30 and the first 30 being childhood, the middle 30 being your earning years, and then the final 30 being your retirement years. And the first 30 years, I use, I say this in the book, and I just kind of throw it away because I'm like, yeah, you know, most of that first 30 years, your parents are paying for most of it. Uh, so we'll put that aside. And then we got this middle 30, that's your engine. Like that's where you're earning all of the money that you need to live for 60 years. So to say that again, 60 years of living is coming out of 30 years of earning. Mm. And that puts tremendous pressure on those 30 years. But it's my experience in talking with families before they come to see me that they're not really aware of the amount of pressure that 30 is under because they're in the firefight every day of, you know, making the bills and, you know, a kid wants to join the soccer team and, uh, well, we got a vacation coming up and, you know, ah, we got to save for college. And so like, they're, they're like trying to deal with these things as they're hitting them, but they're, they don't have the overall perspective of, okay, but these 30 years, this money from these 30 years has to last us for 60. And one of the things that I do and the it's in the diagram is I'll, I'll draw a line 
right through the middle there at retirement. And I write in big black letters, income stops. And I'm very intentional about saying it's like, at some point you will receive your last paycheck. Like after that, there aren't, there aren't anymore. And it's at that point that your balance sheet is going to take over. And is your balance sheet going to sustain you? Is it going to sustain you at the level that you're, you know, been accustomed to? Yeah. And like, I think from my vantage point, like this cash flow discussion, that cash flow management is the dominant determinant as to whether or not someone's going to have a good, good financial life. And, you know, going back to your first question, why write the book? Like, that's why it's the most important thing. I'm curious to get your take on this and I don't have a definitive perspective myself. And then I want to shift into the opportunities to overcome some of the challenges with traditional budgets and why they fail and why they make us feel like a failure with the, the, the one number budget. But first it's our relationship with work. Cause we're talking about the future self here. And it's, I'm right. always fascinated with this as a digital anthropologist if we look out towards the future and the idea of retirement, and I think a lot of this is, you know, from our time in strategic coach, like we've reset our perspectives of like, you know, as long as my brain is healthy and active, um, I can be a contributing member of society and create some right. value and probably generate some type of income. You know, I'm going to live to be 158. That's my number knowing the exercise that we go through in strategic coach. But, you know, for someone who might not necessarily be, you know, quote unquote, entrepreneurial, I think there are a tremendous amount of entrepreneurial opportunities now more than ever before to augment income and to augment earnings. And maybe we'll see a shift. I don't know. Maybe it will be that millennial generation who is more comfortable um, using technology from an entrepreneurial perspective, because that's the, the opportunity there. You know, we're seeing that with with Gen Z specifically. Where where do you see this possibly playing out? Is there going to be a shift into just the way that we think about retirement as a whole? Because I think a lot of us, we you know, we think we're gonna you know get to retirement, and that's our golden years, and we're, we're then we're then we're gonna live life then. <laughs> um, but then it's like, well, I don't know. It's a big philosophical conversation that I'm just, you know, I continuously have with my own self of like, how is all of this going to transform over the next 30 years? Because um, in 30 years, I will be 71 years old, um, which I still feel is going to be super young at that point. Yeah. I, I think that it ties back to something I was talking about before with the statistics around at age 50, you know, there's a certain percentage that is going to lose jobs and no fault of their own. And I bring that up with clients uh, repeatedly because I want them to understand. It's like, look, you, you got to continually make yourself better. You got to continually be like working hard, working on yourself, make yourself better. My first career was in telecommunications. And I wanted to be the best. So I studied all the technology and everything. I was one of the smartest people as it related to all that technology. None of that stuff exists anymore. <laughs> it's right. all gone. All gone. But like if I hadn't been focusing on, you know, evolving myself, then you know, I I would have been stuck in 1997, John. And right now I'd be unemployed. 
So continually making yourself better will lead to those opportunities. Because if you're one of the best at what you do, then you know, you'll be a sought out resource. If you're somebody that's like, hey, you know, I've been a project manager for 20 years and you know, I I'm just kind of in my in my zone. I'm just doing this here in my cube. And you know what? Uh, you know, that's great, but you're just not going to stand out to the point where someone's going to seek you out. Yeah. And it's this idea of what I call exponential growth that I'm writing about in Banking on Change, where when you think about the age of AI and all of the exponential changes that we are going to experience at both a macro and a micro level, I think, you know, you can look at that from a place of scarcity and, oh my gosh, this is completely scary. You experience this yourself as a financial advisor going through COVID, you know, business kind of like transformed overnight. You started seeing people through a glass screen and we were talking about that before, but you were able to adapt your mindset and and you had a really hard conversation with someone who helped you see things a little bit differently and you kind of needed that. And this is the, the essence of where you're growing personally, professionally, financial coaching, coaching tied to this because how much of the work that you do goes beyond just you know, budgeting, you're actually helping people see things differently. And because they see differently, they're going to change their behaviors, their actions in the present moment, because their beliefs now are different. What's your take on that? Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the financial services industry and the breadth of uh, or the range of different advisors, because the, the term financial advisor is unregulated. So it doesn't really mean anything. So some people <laughs> go to market, it doesn't. Um, so some people go to market and like, they're strictly investment advisors. And that's, that's their lane. People go to them, they call themselves a financial advisor, but they're really focused on, on that, that niche. Whereas I, the approach that I wanted to take was I, I wanted to make impact on families and and help families and so i take a much broader approach and sometimes those conversations you know money touches everything so sometimes those conversations lead outside of money and uh you know i just want to help people uh desperately want to help people that sometimes you know i kind of forget my role or i forget my title as financial advisor when i'm when i'm on my game i remember and i'll I'll ask for permission you know it's like hey we're about to veer off or you've asked me a question that's not really finance. Are you okay with me answering it? And, you know, usually after working with someone for a couple of years, I've developed the rapport where they'll give me a little bit of latitude. It's an interesting place for sure when, when you think about this. So how does all of this connect back to the one number budget? Because I think that gives me so much hope uh, looking ahead towards the future, particularly when right now this decade is going to be a little bit chaotic but if we can simplify the complexity and 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 money has a tremendously high inherent cognitive load um it is very complex for a lot of people but it's the idea of just bringing it all the way back down to one number the one number budget what is it how does it work and how can we apply this within our own lives and maybe even Look for collaborative opportunities for you with other financial brands to bring this as a as a tool, as a resource to their account holders. When you look at the one number budget, it's a very simple worksheet. And the very first thing I do is I allocate 20% 
of their gross income going towards long-term wealth building, specifically retirement. And when I when I throw out this 20% number, I'm talking about folks that are in their, you know, age 30 to 40 bracket. You've got 30 years or pretty darn close to it until you get to retirement. So 20% is taken right off the top. And then the second line item on there after I allocate out for wealth building is taxes. And I always will say something like, you know, you may have noticed the IRS is going to take it anyway. Um, so we allocate for taxes. And then that gives me what's left for lifestyle, what's available for lifestyle. And it's an annual number at this point. I divide it by 12 to break it into a monthly number. And then I break out uh, what are your two largest monthly expenses? Now, typically for most people, housing is their probably their biggest monthly expense. So I allocate for that. I provide a little bit of a guidance and number on that of 15% of gross income is, is being really the max that you really want to go for there. Um, and then I leave room for second biggest expense for families with small kids that might be childcare. Uh, for my uh, physician clients, you know, student loans is usually in there. And then that gets me down to, okay, once I back out those two largest monthly expenses, my one number is what's available for everything else. So what I'll do with folks is when I walk them through that one number budget is I'll say, okay, uh, we've gotten down to a number of $5,000. So here's my question. Can you get through, if I've already taken out housing and this other thing, can you get through four weeks on $5,000? And I wait. And if they go, yeah, you know, for all of our other expenses, $5,000. Yeah, we can definitely do that. And I'll say, okay, well, if you can do that, then, and then I'll come back up to the savings percentage number or the, now the dollar number and say, if you can do that, then that means that this is possible. And then we'll look at what are you actually saving? So we'll list everything out from 401k to investment accounts or anything else that they're putting money towards long-term retirement. And maybe they find that they're saving at a 12% rate. 12% rate. And I was like, okay, so we've, we've got to figure out over time how we're going to get from 12 to 20. Mm. And so the sheet then has, the sheet has uncovered. This is, this is what, this is where my lifestyle range is at. And maybe we're not saving as much as we want to. So now I've got, a, now I've got a coaching tool to say, okay, how can we get there? And some people, they get so inspired. They're just like, Oh yeah, well, we got to, you know, we, we can start saving another $10,000 a month, you know, like, like, hold on turbo. <laughs> <laughs> like you're talking about making a major change to your cash flow. Let's, you know, let's work together on something that's not going to disrupt, you know, life. Um, but uh, those are always great conversations. And so what I'm hearing you, you, you share is you've taken a very complex subject. You've broken it down to one page. You've distilled it down even further to one number and that provides a tremendous amount of clarity. Um, and I think it's the clarity and then you connected that with another C term that's part of our seven C's model in banking on change. It's, it provides a coachable tool. Um, right. and how might, how might someone who is listening think, wow, this is great. Um, maybe this is something that we could teach our account holders and use as a coachable tool, where might there be collaborative opportunities just in, and I know I'm kind of future thinking and I, and I love doing this on this podcast. Cause it's like, we can start creating the future just through conversation together here. 
right. that inspires someone else. But where might there be collaborative opportunities for a dear listener who's like, man, this this makes a ton of sense. Could this be something that is 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 taught by others? It most definitely can be. It just you have to have you know folks that are seeking it out. You know they've 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 reached their breaking point with the traditional budgeting. They feel like they're not they're not making the progress that they should. The real discussion really has to start with that lifetime perspective. What are they really working towards? What are they really trying to accomplish? Um, another reason why traditional budgeting doesn't work is savings is kind of talked about in a punitive way. I've had people tell me, it's like, well, I don't want to save for retirement because what if I die? Like, all right, well, <laughs> right. I, I, I can't really, I can't really answer that. As far as you know, your listeners are concerned, like if I was, if I was in a bank or a credit union and was looking to help people uh, manage their cash flow, you know, that it's already being done by the 401k companies and it's being done by the IRS. Like, think about it. The IRS always gets paid. Why? Because yep. they take their money first. Uh, they take it out of your paycheck before you even get it. Um, or you, you may have felt this way before, or you've heard people say it. I love the 401k because they get it before I even, I never see it. So from a bank or credit union standpoint is helping clients allocate cash flow into the different accounts as it comes, as their paycheck comes in on direct deposit, maybe. Oh, I'm, I'm liking this because I almost see a fintech play in this as well to where you have an app and you integrate all of your income accounts in kind of like a, a PFM, but then it actually does the account allocation for you because what we're doing and now I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, tiny habits or atomic habits, we're reducing a lot of the frictional workload of having to just do this. So it becomes autopilot and then we just get comfortable living with this one number because that's the world that we can work within right there if someone is listening to this conversation where can they get the book sure so the book is uh for sale on amazon uh either the ebook kindle version or paperback uh they can get it there or they can go to the book website onenumberbudget.com and they can uh, download a copy of the first chapter, read about uh, the Moneyball uh, piece there. Those are the two ways they can get connected with the book. And besides the book, you know, I always like to, to, to wrap the podcast up on a very practical point. You know, for someone listening, what is the best way for them? Just think about their own unique situation, their own life. Um, how how can they maybe begin to think about just the one number budget, you know, to apply it? One small, simple step. What would that one small, simple step be to guide them forward on their own journey? One simple step would be is to, to calculate your savings rate right now. You know, 20, 20% of yeah. your gross income and then, you know, I'm, I'm adding a step. But uh, to then compare that to what they're saving right now, maybe you're saving at, at a great rate and you're all set, um, or maybe you're far off. And if you are far off, like, when do you want to know? <laughs> do you want to know now or do you yeah. want to know 25 years from now? Yeah, the faster we can help people gain that clarity in the present moment, the better they off they will be going forward into the future. John, thank you so much for the conversation. Great catching up with you. What is the best way for someone to just reach out, say hello, and connect with you to, con to continue the conversation we've started here today? OneNumberBudget.com. There's a contact page there. Uh, reach out to me there, and I will respond.
connect with John, learn with John, grow with John. John, thanks again for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Thanks for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The Banking on Digital Growth podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Crane Financial, and opinions stated are their own. John Crane is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 11350 McCormick Road, Executive Plaza 3, Suite 202, Hunt Valley, Maryland, 21. 031. Phone number 667-318-0801. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Crane Financial LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0G79065 2022-143232 Expiration 924 Thanks as always for listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. And remember, be well and do good. <laughs>